Children's Church at this time. And for everyone else, I would invite you to open in a Bible, if you have one, to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40. Today, um, we look at the last attribute in our study of uh, the knowledge of the holy and our following uh, the map that is found in the book, The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer, lifting up our low view of God to a high view of God. And uh, we end today uh, on our look at these attributes of God with the topic of the sovereignty of God. So I uh, can be pretty strong-willed, deep at my core. It's always been that way. It's one of those things that the, the Lord in his sanctifying work is always working on in my life, um, as I think probably for a lot of us. Uh, but it was always seen, my, my parents would tell the story about how this was seen in my life really, really early, in that uh, when I was two, three, going through the terrible twos and all of that stuff, and it would be, you know, Mark, let us, you need to do this, and let us help you. Mom and Dad would come alongside, let me help you. My phrase would always be, no, me do we. Me do it. Me do we. And that was like the thing that would just come out. If like, you know, here, let us help you. No, me do we. Me do we. I'm going to do this thing. It's going to be my way too, and it's not, you know, you're going to pick up your toys. No, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do it on my time, and in my way, me do we. I think all of us in some way can, can find that relatable point where it's like, no, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it my way. And the sovereignty of God becomes that attribute of him that I think may challenge our high view of God the most. Not because some of these, you know, like the infinitude of God and the transcendence of God, some of these ideas of God, the omnipresence, the omniscience, you know, all-powerful, all-knowing, some of these are so high and lofty, we can understand them to a degree, but because God is other than us, it's just, we, we can't fully comprehend it. And, and so it's not one of the attributes of God that may challenge us the most because it's hard to understand or relate to on a human level, but because it challenges our will and our desire to be in charge. The sovereignty of God challenges our will and our desire to be a God. To, to be in charge. A low view of God, if we have a low view of God, it kind of allows us and permits us to be the king of our lives. If we have a low view of God, I can get away with consulting myself and my ideas and my will and my way. But if I truly get a high view of God, if I truly begin to understand and am growing in my understanding of who God is high and exalted and lifted up, the higher my view of God gets, the less of a possibility there is that I can be in charge of my life. It's like those are completely incompatible. God and me in charge. <laughs> but if it's a low view, I can kind of be in charge. 
So the higher our view, and, and, and Tozer doesn't say this, he doesn't give a rationale for why he orders them the way he orders them, but, but I kind of think that the reason he makes sovereignty of God last is because you really can't get a grasp and come to a place of recognizing and surrendering to the sovereignty of God if you have a low view of God. You need a high view of God to really come to a place where we submit our will to the sovereignty of God. And so this morning, we want to get a, one last piece of this whole understanding of the knowledge of the holy so that he might be king and not us. So we want to begin, there's some, as always, sermon notes in your bulletin with a lot more fill-ins that'll be on the screen, help you follow along. But we want to start by first understanding God's sovereignty. Understanding God's sovereignty. So Tozer defines it this way. He says, God's sovereignty is the attribute by which he rules his entire creation. And to be sovereign, God must be all-knowing, all-powerful, and absolutely free. So all these attributes work together. To be sovereign, God must be all-knowing, all-powerful, and absolutely free. It's the attribute by which he rules his entire creation. And so let's look at these three in particular, and we'll add one more. And the first is God must be all-knowing. God is all-knowing. We, we looked at this in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 13 through 14, when we talked about the omniscience of God, that he is omniscient, he is all-knowing. But as a review, Psalm 40, verses 13 through 14 says, who has understood the mind of the Lord or instructed him as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Isaiah is saying that God knows all things. And he doesn't know all things because someone taught him all things. Someone counseled him in all things. Someone showed him the right way. Someone gave him the knowledge that he has or the understanding that he has. No, God is omniscient, meaning he knows all things and no one has instructed him. He does not consult anyone. He needs no knowledge. He needs no input from no one or no thing, God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. And God's sovereignty demands that he knows all things. You know, one of the things that is in this tech age that we live with, that we hear a lot about is like the big brother, right? And the government surveillance and all these different governments that have all these ways of understanding, you know, and tracking your information and knowing what you do and what you're up to and where you're at and all these kinds of things. All of this, this becomes hot button topics these days. All of this knowledge that governments have and companies have of us. Why do they have that? Why do governments want to know all this about us? Because if they're really going to be in charge, if they're going to rule, if they're going to govern in their minds, they have to understand what everyone is doing. Knowledge is required for ruling. 
knowing what is going on, who is doing what, where they're doing it, foreign governments, what they're doing, how they're going to come against, you know, we talk about national sovereignty, how they're coming against national sovereignty and all these kinds of things. This is all about knowledge. And so God, for him to be sovereign, he has to know all things. There can't be some covert operation going on over here or over there. There can't be some plot to overthrow the kingdom of God. Or else he's not sovereign. His omniscience, his knowledge of all things is absolutely necessary for him to be sovereign. And so this attribute of God's all-knowingness, his omniscience, makes him sovereign. There's nothing that he does not know or he is not aware of. God's sovereignty, God's all-knowing. God is also all-powerful. And so if you're in Isaiah, if you go towards the back of the Bible, you'll come to Jeremiah, then Ezekiel, or Jeremiah, Lamentations, then Ezekiel, and then the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 4. We'll see several things about the sovereignty of God in Daniel chapter 4, verses 34 and 35. Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon. Daniel and a thousands and thousands of Israelites have been carried off into captivity and Daniel is there and King Nebuchadnezzar is the most powerful man on the face of the earth and he knows it. Confidence is not something that Nebuchadnezzar lacks. Pride fills him until he has a dream. And in this dream, he's very, very disturbed and no one in his kingdom, the kingdom of Babylon, is able to interpret it. He finds out about Daniel and Daniel is able to interpret the dream with the help of the Lord. And the dream, the interpretation is that King Nebuchadnezzar is going to lose his mind. And he's going to go off into the wilderness for seven years and he's going to eat grass like animals do. And he's just going to be completely out of his mind. And one day he's going to come back into his mind to be able to be brought to a place where he recognizes that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the God of the Bible, is the one true ruler. He's the sovereign king of the universe. And that Nebuchadnezzar is not. And so at the end of all of this, Nebuchadnezzar goes through this. The dream comes to fulfillment. Seven years of being in it, out of his mind. And he comes back, and he's restored. But this time, he's not restored to his place of pride and arrogance. He's brought low, and he's restored to a place of humility. And this is what he comes in verses 34 to 35 to understand about God. It says, at the end of that time, this is, again, Daniel 4.34, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. And then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion, his rule, his sovereignty is an eternal rule. His kingdom rule is forever. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? This is the most powerful man on the face of the earth. Coming to recognize who God is. His view of God was quite low. His view of himself was quite high. But it's been flipped. And his view of God is quite high. And his view of himself is quite low. And he understands that God is all-powerful. 
You see what he says there? He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and no one can hold back his hand. There is no one who can stop him. As the sovereign God, the sovereign ruler, he is all powerful. He lacks no power. He is also absolutely free. He says he does as he pleases. He doesn't have to check with anyone. He doesn't have to run it through a committee. He doesn't have to have the checks and balances. He does not have to ask permission. He doesn't have to clear his plans with anyone. He is the final word. He is the sovereign ruler. And he is absolutely free to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants. He's completely free. And he is absolutely, let's see if we can get there. He is the absolute final authority that no one can question, what have you done? God has no accountability because he is the final authority. The humans, though, we may question. You have Job, you know, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Why? <laughs> and the last chapters of Job, God just goes, were you, were you, were you here? Were you there? Do you know this? Do you know this? And Job, at the end of it all, is like, uh, who was I to even begin to question you? Because you're the final authority, God. We may question him, we may wonder, we may doubt, but he's the final word. And he's the final authority. And what he says goes. You know, we've seen in countries like Russia and other autocratic states throughout history, we see what happens when human rulers get this kind of power. <laughs> it doesn't go well. And so for some of us, we may be sitting here and hearing things like, he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, he's absolutely free, he's the final authority, who can tell him what to do? God, God, God. And it makes us go, ah, I don't know if I like this. And we may say, I'm pushing back against this. This isn't good. And especially if we've been wounded and hurt by people in power and authority and before, we may say, no, this sovereignty of God stuff, uh-uh. But understand this, our God... <laughs> when we see all the nature and all the character of who he is, that he is all-knowing and all-powerful and omniscient and he is infinite and he is unchanging and all of these things that make him high and lifted up, we also recognize that he is absolute perfect love and he is absolute grace and he is absolute mercy and compassion, that he is a God who is good and he is a God who is trustworthy. If you and I, if we got that kind of authority and that kind of power and that kind of sovereignty that God has, we would do well to fear. Because in some way, even the best of us are going to use it to our advantage on someone else. But God uses his power and authority for his glory and for his name to be known, but also for the well-being of his creation. He's able to be trusted. His sovereignty is able to be trusted because he's not like us. And if we see him in his sovereignty on a low view and we see him as we are, sovereignty is going to be one of those issues that's hard for us to accept. 
But when we see God high and exalted and lifted up, we see the fullness of his character. We see him demonstrate his love for us in Christ, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We see that this God is nothing like us in our brokenness. And so he is sovereign and he is trustworthy. He rules and he reigns and he's got things under control. Now, we can't just wrap this message up and be like, yay, God, sovereign one, without recognizing that there are significant, difficult questions that we need to wrestle with. There are difficult questions that we need to wrestle with. You could probably come out with a bunch of them, but the two big ones we want to look at. Because when we think of the sovereignty of God, if God is sovereign, then how do these next two things coexist with his sovereignty? And the first one is, how does evil, pain, and death coexist with a God who is sovereign? Now, if you want like the perfect answer to all of this, there is no person on the face of the earth who has this all figured out. But, we can say this. The reason that evil, pain, and death exist here on this earth, in this world, under the rule of a sovereign God, is because of the presence of sin. Because of the presence of sin. Sin and the rebellion of Adam and Eve against the rule and reign of God through their disobedience to his commands, sin and its entrance brought evil, brought pain, brought death into this world. And God in his sovereignty has permitted sin for a limited time and with a limited scope. And because God is sovereign, he is able to determine these. He is able, as the sovereign ruler, to say, I will permit the brokenness that comes from sin in my creation and the pain and the evil and the death that it causes, I will permit it for a time and to a degree under my rule and my reign. Now, it's still hard for us to get our minds around. Think about it like this. Imagine there's a drug dealer who's on the streets and he is dealing drugs. And they know that in his drug deals that there have been things that have gone down that have significantly harmed people. And so they know we have to take this guy and we have to arrest him. They know who he is. They know what he's doing. They know who he's selling to. But they recognize this. They recognize that there is someone bigger who is supplying him those drugs. And they've got people on the inside and they're beginning to understand who this person is and where these drugs are coming from. And so they make a decision. Even though we know what he is doing and we know that it is not good what he is doing, we are going to permit him to continue because we know and we believe that we are going to be able to figure out where these are coming from and who the bigger person is to this person. And so for a limited time and for a limited scope, certainly if they realize, hey, he's going, he's taking this up a notch, there's, there's, a, there's a threshold that they're going to jump in and say, it's not worth this because they're after something bigger. Why does God allow 
evil and pain and death from sin. Why does he allow this? When he could step in in a moment and he could stop it. Because God has a purpose and a plan that he is working out in the context of human history. And as Peter says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to faith in Christ. He's working out his purposes in human history. There's, there's a plan that's moving along. And so he tolerates under his rule and his reign in a limited way for a limited time sin and evil and pain and death. Still, that, that's hard for us to get our minds around because we're in the midst of the evil and the pain and the death and the rule of sin over this world. We don't fully understand the purpose, but we understand why. And we see in Scripture various instances where God steps in and says, no, that's too far. That's too far. The question of evil, pain, and death and the cause of sin. Again, I'm not trying to give perfect answers to all this. No one has them, but we wrestle with them. The second question that we wrestle with is, what about free will in the midst of all this? If God is sovereign and he rules and reigns, he's got purposes and plans and he's the one in charge, where does our free will come in all of this? Scripture clearly talks about the fact that we have choices to make. And so there are different theological systems. You may have heard of two guys, Calvin and Arminius. You have the Calvinists and Arminians. And if you never heard all that, don't worry, that's perfectly fine. Just to say that there are a lot of people who really get into all this. And the Calvinists will go so far as to say that everything has been predetermined. What time I got up this morning, the fact that I hit the snooze one time, that was all predetermined by God. And then I am essentially carrying out the plans and purposes of a God who is a puppeteer. It will go that far. There will be ways that it will come along towards the middle a little bit, all the way to the other extreme of we have so much free will that God has absolutely no idea what is going on, what is happening. He's looking at us and going, oh no, Mark hit the snooze bar. Now he's going to be nine minutes behind. Now how do I work and orchestrate and build life around to make sure that what I want him to accomplish today gets accomplished because he was supposed to get up when his alarm went off and not hit it, so that nine minutes later he got up. No, God goes. Okay, so that's, that's the other extreme. And then we get things that go back towards the middle and all these kinds of things. So how does, God's, how does our free will and God's sovereignty work together? Tozer says it this way, so I just wanna read this and then give an illustration that he gives, kind of modernized a little bit. I, I think this makes a lot of sense. So Tozer says, here's my view. God sovereignly decreed that man should be free to exercise moral choice. And man, from the beginning, has fulfilled that that decree by making his choice between good and evil. When he chooses to do evil, he does not thereby countervail 
the sovereign will of God, but fulfills it inasmuch as the eternal decree decided not which choice the man should make, but that he should be free to make it. If in his absolute freedom God has willed to give man limited freedom, who is there to stay his hand or say, what doest thou? Man's will is free because God is sovereign. A God less than sovereign could not bestow moral freedom upon his creatures. He would be afraid to do so. See what Tozer is saying is, because God is sovereign, he has said, because he has no fear, because he knows he is able to deal with everything in this world, he has decreed that we are free to make our decisions in the midst of his plan. Now that doesn't make sense to us, because if I give my kids absolute freedom to do whatever they want, most likely chaos is going to erupt. But he is saying this, he is saying that God is absolutely free and he is free and sovereign and rules and reigns and he has set down this decree that we can do what we're going to do, but he is still the one doing the overall work. Illustrated like this. You and I get on a cruise ship. Who's going? All right. So we get on a cruise ship. Now, some of you are like, no. And that's me too, actually. If I'm going to be completely honest on this illustration, <laughs> I'll be like, let's find something else to do. Get on a boat. And it is off to its destination. We don't fully know where the destination is, but it's got a destination, and there is a captain who is in charge, and that, that ship is going to get where it was predetermined to go. Nothing is going to stop it. We're not going to be able to storm the cabin and say, no, we're going another way. We don't get any democratic view on this thing and say, hey, I think we should go here. And then you say, I think we should go here. And then we put it up for a vote and that's where we're going. No, there's already been a plan put in. The boat has left. It is going here and nothing is stopping it. But in the midst of the journey, you and I have absolute freedom to do whatever we want. We can go to bed whenever we want. We can get up whenever we want. We can go to meals. Some, some people are, are late breakfast. Some are early breakfast. Some like big dinners. Some like small dinners. You can eat whatever you want in all of these. There's hundreds of activities for you to do while you're on this, this ship, this cruise liner. You can, you're free to do whatever you want in the midst of it all. These are the parameters. It's going to get from here to there. However, everywhere in between, you and I have the decision of what we're going to do. That's what Tozer is saying. Within the limits of freedom, you and I are free to make our decisions. These questions are difficult. These solutions, at least here, explain God's sovereignty and man's free will and the negative consequences that come when we don't follow his kingly rule, which brings us to the landing point this morning, and that is our decision. Will we submit to God's sovereign rule? Will we submit to it first personally? Will we submit to it personally? If you 
would turn to the book of 2 Corinthians. To 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 13 through chapter 6, verse 2. Paul says this. 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 13 through chapter 6, verse 2. He says, If we're out of our mind, it is for the sake of God, and if we're in a right mind, it's for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died, speaking of Jesus, he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the, the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he had committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. In, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. In light of all the sin problem and what it introduced in evil and pain and death, Paul reminds us of God's solution to all of this, that he sent his son Jesus into this broken world. We talked about it last week of 2 Corinthians 5.21, that, that God sent Jesus to become for us an offering of sin, that all those who would repent and who would come to Christ, who would place their faith in Jesus, that they would become a new creation, that the old spiritual life and all of the, the sin and the death and, and the pain consequences would begin to have this place of being lifted off of us. In Christ, we would be positionally made holy and would be coming, would be becoming like him more and more. That God has made a way in the midst of the brokenness of this sin-filled world in his sovereignty to send his son to be the solution to all that is wrong. That Jesus submitted to the rule of God perfectly. And so in submitting to the rule of God, he has become for us our way to become righteous and holy and acceptable to God. This is God's solution. And so he says, Paul says that those who have received this message, have received Christ as their Savior, become ambassadors to others of this good news, this way to be brought back into relationship with God through Christ. And Paul says this, we implore you. In other words, ha have you ever been so desperate for someone to follow what you're saying that you, you feel like you are just going to burst if they don't do it? 
You're, you're on your hands and knees. You are just crying out in desperation. Would you please do this? And this is what Paul is saying. Imploring is on hands and knees, begging, pleading, tears gushing. Would you please accept this gift that God has made possible in this broken world to be brought back to him, to be reconciled with him. We implore you, accept Christ. Be reconciled to God through him. That's where this submission to the kingly rule of Christ and to the sovereignty of God begins and humbling ourselves and recognizing that we have sinned against a perfect and holy God. We've rejected, we've become rebels against his kingly rule, his sovereign rule. And it's saying, oh God, we have offended you. We've come against your rule, your sovereignty. Would you forgive me? Jesus, you've paid the price because the price of rebelling against the king of the universe is death. Make no mistake about it. The price of rebelling against the king of the universe is death, physically and spiritually in hell forever. That is the price of rebelling against the sovereign ruler. But the sovereign ruler in his love and in his grace and his mercy has sent his son so that rebels can be turned back into submission, can be brought back into a place where we are now in right standing with the sovereign ruler or the king of the universe. But it involves our faith, it involves our submission to the king and receiving salvation, recognizing we need Jesus. We implore you, be reconciled to God. Now, now is the time of God's favor. Now, now is the day. Don't wait tomorrow. If you have not submitted yourselves to the kingly role of God again through Christ, now is the day. Today is the day of salvation. Today. Personally, submit to God's sovereign rule for salvation. But there's also this picture, too, in verse 15. In 2 Corinthians 5.15, before we move on to one other point. It says, And he, Christ, died for all, that those who live... <laughs> So those who receive this reconciliation from God, who, re, are be, who become new creations in Christ, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. See, Paul is saying this. You cannot say yes to Jesus as save me without fully understanding that that also means that now my life is yours, I live in surrender to the king who saved me. Sometimes we can get this idea of, thanks Jesus, I recognize I've been a rebel against you and against the kingly rule of God, and now, thank you, I place my faith in Christ and I'm on my way, thank you, I'll see you in heaven. And now from here, I'm gonna run my life. We can have salvation and a low view of God and be in charge until Jesus comes or death comes, one of the two. And be like, I'll see you in heaven. Hallelujah, thank you. 
that doesn't really give us a view that we've actually been reconciled with God because when we, reconcile, when we understand how much we deserve death for rebellion against the king, and he gives us new life, and he gives us mercy and grace and forgiveness and gives us a whole new start for the rest of our lives, it's what do you want to do? You are the rightful king, not only of the universe, but of me. So it's lordship for the rest of our days. We're going to struggle. This is going to be a, a, an up and down journey as we go. The Spirit of God is going to help us. There's going to be days when I'm in charge and, oh, God, forgive me. I became the center of the universe again. Forgive me. But you, you, Jesus, Jesus, you, the one who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, I am not. I submit again to your kingly rule. You're the sovereign God. Submit. Submit to the sovereign rule of God. Today's the day of salvation, but today is also the day where I no longer live for myself, but I live for the one who died for me under his rule. Submit to God's sovereign rule personally, but submit to God's sovereign rule also corporately. If you're in 2 Corinthians, just a few more pages towards the back, you'll come to Galatians and then Ephesians, and this is where we wrap up. Galatians, or Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, t- talking about the supremacy of Christ and how he has been raised to the highest place over all power and over all authority. He's the king. Verse 22 says, And God placed all things under his feet, under Jesus' feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Scriptures are clear that Jesus is the head of the church. He's the head of us corporately. He's the head of my life and your life, Lord Lord willing. But he's also the head of the, the church, universally and locally. If you read the the letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation, you see Jesus warning churches, five do Five have issues, two just need some encouragement in the midst of really hard things. But he, he tells them, you're doing well here, but you're not under my sovereign rule here. Return to me, start, start doing this. Stop doing that, come back to this. Or, or I may come and take your lampstand from you. Your place as a body of believers under my authority. See, the sovereign role of God applies to my life personally and your life personally, but it also applies to the rule of Christ over his church, over us corporately. And this must be a regular and willful decision. Just as for our own personal lives, it must be a regular and, and personal and a decision, a willful choice. It can become so easy in the church. We sometimes think, oh, we're, we're Christians and we gather together and we want to do the things of God, right? But it is way too easy to come to the place where we decide that we are going to run the church, that we are going to set the agenda, that we are going to determine what God can and what God cannot do. 
that we are going to determine how long the service should go and what that service should be like. Is that my right or your right? Is that our right? No. If he is the head and it's his church, we simply say, Lord Jesus, what do you want to do? Holy Spirit, what do you want to do? When the sovereign God of the universe, who has appointed his son to be the head of the church, when he gets his way, it's, Lord Jesus, what do you want? Holy Spirit, what do you want? Abba Father, what do you want? It's been said that the heart of revival is Jesus, do not pass us by. Jesus, do not pass us by. Sometimes we think that God, that Jesus is obligated to kind of like put up with us. <laughs> if anything, the book of Revelation and the seven churches, the letters to seven churches, should be warning to us that Jesus is going to be patient and loving with us, but he is not obligated to us in any way, shape, or form. He, he's obligated to his church, and he is going to work, and he's faithful to his church, and he is refining his church. But if his church locally decides we're going to do it our way, he is not obligated to us forever to say, just keep doing what you're doing and I'll just kind of hang out and show up from time to time and say, Wee! the kingly rule of Christ demands our humble submission and our, you, and, and, our, and our yes to your way, not our way. Your agenda, not our agenda. If you are calling us here, we're going to say yes. We're going to seek your face. We're going to hear your voice together. We're going to follow you. A high view of God demands a high view of his sovereignty. And it requires and demands a response to his rule and reign. Will we submit or will we rebel? as we wait the fullness of the kingly rule of Christ, as we wait the return of our king to this earth, may it be our desire personally and may it be our response personally and corporately to say yes, we submit. We submit. With the passing of Queen Elizabeth in England, there's been much, much ado about her life and the funeral uh, ceremonies and everything that went on. And there's a quote that came up that att was attributed to Queen Elizabeth that actually was, uh, was said and was um, made by Queen Victoria, not Queen Elizabeth, which, it was, you know, no big deal on who actually said it. But th this is the quote. It was a chaplain of Queen Elizabeth who was preaching about the rule of Christ and about his return, his coming return. And afterward, in a conversation, the chaplain and Queen Victoria said, she said to the chaplain, oh, how I wish that the Lord would come in my lifetime 
That was her response to this message. Oh, how I wish that the Lord would come in my lifetime. And the chaplain asked, why? Why does your majesty, the queen, feel this urgent and earnest desire so much? And with quivering lips, she said, I should so love to lay my crown at his feet. That's why she wanted the return of Christ in her lifetime. So that she, the queen, could humbly bow and take her crown off of her head and lay it at the feet of Jesus. Why? Because she recognized there is a king who is much more sovereign than her. There is a king who is greater. And even with all of her royalty and all that came with being queen, she recognized, I am nothing in comparison to the sovereign king of the universe, and it is my joy to bow and to take my crown off and to lay it at his feet because he is the rightful sovereign ruler. He is the king. And the higher our view of God gets, the more we recognize, yes, yes, he's the king. And it becomes our joy and our natural response to submit to his kingly rule. And it's not to say, boy, we're horrible, terrible. We, we've got the image of God and the value. And he says, my, the issue of your value has been settled. I sent my son for you. And so we say in response, you're the king. You're the king. To your sovereign rule, we submit. If you have not submitted to the king today and have not received Jesus as Savior today, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of the favor of the Lord. Receive and be reconciled to God. Just as Paul implores, I implore you, be reconciled to God today. And if you've received Christ, but you can honestly say, you know what, I've, I've been running my life though. <laughs> I have not been living in submission to the one who gave his life for me. Today is the day to say again, Lord Jesus, I humbly submit to your rule. And may we together say, Lord Jesus, you're the king, you're the head of your church. It's our joy to follow you and to submit to you, to your ways, to your plans, to your purposes, to your gifts, to all that you have for us. Have your way. So in these just closing moments as the worship team will come, I just want to give you a few moments just to be with the Lord. However submission looks today, and maybe you're saying, yeah, that's where I'm at. I'm, I, I'm in there at all those levels. Just to reaffirm and to say, Lord, you're sovereign, and it's a joy, it's a joy to submit to you. So Father in heaven, we thank you, and we adore you, and we acknowledge you as the sovereign ruler of all. You're the king of the earth, the king of the universe. Jesus, you're the, the king of your church. You, the all-knowing, all-powerful, one of all authority, Holy Spirit, as you are applying this to each of us. Lead us in how we are to respond to you now.
Holy Spirit, seal to our hearts what you have spoken to us. What you are encouraging us with, what you are calling us to, what you may be convicting us of, seal to our hearts these things. And we choose now in response to your sovereignty to worship you. To worship you in submission and in joy. To lift high your name. To join in with the worship that is in heaven. That even as we worship, that your kingdom might come and your will that is always done in heaven would be done here in our midst in these moments as we worship you and that your kingdom rule and reign would come here on earth as it is in heaven. Receive our worship in Jesus' name.